please stay right where you are because it's time for GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And now, your host for GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Doug and Jesse King. Good morning, everybody. You're listening to the GeorgiaCarry.org radio hour, and I'm your host, Doug King. Um, I hope that everyone has enjoyed their holidays. We are now well and away from um, the hustle and bustle of Christmas and New Year's is, is behind us and things are starting to settle back into to some sense of normalcy in Atlanta anyway. Traffic is backed up for miles. All the people who were taking off for the holidays are gone and all the people who didn't have to come in from work are back and everything is starting to become more like it was three months ago, especially the weather. I don't know if anyone else noticed this week, but we went from having eight inches of snow at the beginning of the week, at least where I live, down to 72-degree days by the end of the week, and kids running around in T-shirts and cutoffs again. So, you know, it's been kind of a, a interesting week <laughs> for everything that's happened. But I know we've been on vacation, and, and a lot has been happening in the news. We're, we're getting ready for the Trump presidency, which is exciting. We've got... Senate confirmation hearings with the Georgia legislature is getting rolling. I checked the GCO webpage this morning. There still isn't any new information that builds up for the 2017 session, but information will be coming shortly as things get filed. It's, it's going to be a, a good year. This is 2017 is going to be a good year for everybody. I think that we're going to see people who have been putting off major decisions start to, to, face up and focus. We're going to see people who have been um, trying to move their own agenda, move on. And we're going to see people who are much more interested in, in freedom and prosperity take over. I remember talking to my son a few months ago about who did he want to win the election. And he said, Donald Trump. I said, why? And he says, well, I think he's going to be, bring more jobs and better paying jobs. I remember saying, well, do you think that he's a nice guy? And my son said, no, he's not a nice guy, but that doesn't impact whether or not he can bring more and better paying jobs. And I think that that's kind of an interesting tell on what's happened is that we are starting to have some hope that something is going to turn around and something's going to change and we're going to have more and better paying jobs and we're going to have the, the kind of economic prosperity that we've been hoping for ever since 1999. And I, I see our country has taken a kind of a fell turn in the last 20 years. I mean, at the end of the Clinton administration, and there were a lot of problems with the Clinton administration, right? I mean, I, I think that the, their stance on guns was abhorrent. I think that their foreign policy was haphazard. I think that Bill Clinton saw himself as a white knight that was crusading in, looking for whatever problems he could solve globally and looking for to be admired and loved and that was his thing and so that led to a haphazard foreign policy and a domestic policy that was based in in abject liberalism largely led by by the influence of his wife i'm sure um but at the end of the day if you look at the economy 
the economy in America in the 90s did exceedingly well. And the reason was, was that with Bill Clinton charging off on a foreign policy agenda and Hillary Clinton on a domestic social agenda, there really wasn't a lot of attention paid to the private sector. And by allowing the private sector to do what it does best, there was growth. Now, the growth led to Congress making decisions that, well, everyone should own a house. If we're doing this well, everyone should own a house. And lending money to people who are not fiscally responsible enough to have money. And that's, I'm sorry, that's just one of the facts of life. There are some people out there who are not capable, they're not mature enough, they're not mentally stable enough to be given large sums of money and expect them to, to succeed in life. You can give them all the money you want, but they're not going to hold down a steady job. They're not going to be able to purchase a home and to finance it and to be reliable and responsible and to maintain it and just be what they're supposed to be. Some people are meant to be renters and some people are, are just always going to be in the care of somebody else. And it's a shame I mean, no adult human being should be in that position. We should all be able to step forth and take our own personal responsibility and take care of ourselves and do what we need to do for ourselves and manage our lives and be independent. But some people just won't. It's not even that they can't. They just won't. And because when you start to impose the, the, the morality or ethical choices of those who will on those who won't you, you don't get the response you don't get the outcomes that you're expecting out of the won'ts so that led to us and, and of course overspending because we were on track to pay off the budget in two, 1999 and 2000 and then George W. Bush led us on on this massive crusade of billions of dollars of wasted trillions of dollars wasted and then Barack Obama picks up the rebound and takes us even further into massive debt trying to manipulate the markets into covering up what the government had done to the markets through subprime home mortgages. So between the two of them, they were able to almost completely destroy the world economy through massive idiotic spending. Now we suddenly have hope that we're going to be allowed to manage our own businesses and there is talk of using the tax code to punish businesses that take jobs overseas. And we can have a huge economics discussion. We're not going to do it today, but we can have a huge economics discussion over the benefits of free trade and Adam Smith economics versus protectionism and making sure that there's a high or a low unemployment rate, a high rate of job market participation. I mean, America right now has got one-third of all of the people living in America out of the workforce. And I think that large part that's the baby boom coming to its logical conclusion, and it's going to be a higher percent of people who are not in the workforce. But it is it is troubling, and we can't have complete rampant growth all the time or we're going to end up like india where every square inch of this country is filled up with people and that's not sustainable that's not globally sustainable that's not the right choice what you have to have is a little bit of equilibrium and you can't have the kind of equilibrium that you have with inflation where it's always rising just a little because if it's always rising if population is always rising just a little you will get to the point where you are completely blown out of the water because of the number of people using resources <coughs> So that's not a, a real solution either. The real solution is is that we created artificial prosperity in the 
70s and 80s by having a workforce that was very large and fairly well educated and we're reaching the the inverse of that boom through 2000 through 2020 and now we're going to start to see things start to turn around again and and between 2020 and 2040 we should come to a more sustainable rate where we can increase um, productivity and increase uh, life expectancy and still maintain an, a, a uh, an equilibrium in the birth rate. So I think that it's entirely doable that, that the country with the proper planning can achieve a sustainable growth rate that isn't going to overburden us or, or undercut us. But all of this is coming to fruition right as Trump is coming into office. And Trump's policies and bringing more jobs home and making less unemployment and making sure that people are able to have a, a base standard of living. I, there was a study that was just done that shows that uh, millennials are far better educated than baby boomers of the same time period. So when you look at millennials who are ages 18 to 30 and say, how educated are you? They're much better educated than baby boomers were between the ages of 18 and 30. But even though they are better educated, they're earning about 20% less in real wages than baby boomers did. So they have to work 20% more, even with, not even considering the educational expenses that they're burdened with that their parents were not. So they have to work 20% more plus the extra education, which is probably going to add another 20% burden. So they're 40% in the hole on everything they do compared to their parents. And you wonder why there's so many living in their parents' basements. Well, there's just the way that the, the world is structured right now. We are surviving on cheap labor, and the labor is getting cheaper and cheaper as, as profits are expanded in companies. And the way that we beat that, I, I really don't have a great answer. I, I don't know if the best answer is raising the minimum wage because it causes an explosive effect throughout the job market that, you know, if, if I'm an attorney and I'm working my butt off, and I have a degree, and I make the same as someone who's working at McDonald's who doesn't have any responsibility, doesn't ever have to stay up awake at night worrying about anything, can just get up in the morning five minutes before work, go in, flip burgers for eight hours, go home, and not have to think about it ever again. Maybe I'd rather go flip the burgers at the same pay than do what I do. And so you get people who flee the markets for the, the, the easier, better-paying jobs. And then if you want to have an EMT or a lawyer or something you know, in between, then you're going to have to pay more. Otherwise, they'll just go work at McDonald's. And so then the, the increase in, in productivity increases wages across the board. Maybe that's the answer. Maybe not. I'm, I'm not going to go too deep into all that, especially since this is all a prelude to talk about why um, the millennials are having such a hard time coping with reality. And I think that that leads us more towards where I really want to be talking, which is the Fort Lauderdale shooting and what happened there and the, the disaffected young man who decided to shoot five people um, 4,000 miles away from his home. So we're at a commercial break, and I will be right back. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. 
Welcome back, everybody. So we were talking uh, in the first segment a little bit about economic history and how millennials are in a hole compared to their parents. And a lot of people don't want to realize this. They don't want to sit back and say, hey, you've got it so much worse than your parents because, you know, People today have instant access to information. They can follow stock markets. You can do trading on your phone. Your phone has more computing power than the entire North American continent had when the baby boomers were 18 years old. And so you, you, there's a lot of technological advances. Life is easier in a lot of respects. It's cheaper in some ways because you can watch any movie on Earth on demand at your fingertips for 10 bucks. I mean, you think about some of these sorts of the ways that we entertain ourselves cheaply and more efficiently than the previous generation, and you start to see economies of scale pop up. You know, it's cheaper to live in some ways. But... Along with this has come the realization that millennials do not make, they don't have the earning power and earning potential that their parents did. Even with greater education, even if they have a college degree where their parents had a high school diploma, their parents were earning 20% more. And that makes absolutely no economic sense. And yet it does. The, the problem is, is that as more and more millennials went to college, the value of those jobs, the market became saturated and the, pri the, the prevailing wage in jobs with saturated market as far as people able to, to do them drops. So now you get into this weird, bizarre, bizarro world, right? Where a lawyer is a dime a dozen, but a TIG welder can command $70 an hour. But you, you lawyers are out there scrambling for, you know, 150 bucks to do a traffic ticket and they're making $15 an hour on that case, whereas a TIG welder is making 75 And you think, well, that doesn't make much sense. I mean, a lawyer goes to school for, for seven-ish years. They, they should have command a higher wage than somebody who just has six months of vocational training. But it's not because 80 people out of 100 want to be lawyers or doctors because they've been told that's the way to get ahead in life, and it was. And only five of the remaining 20 want to do a vocational school or have the talent or ability to do that. The, re the rest need to be in, in minimum wage jobs, you know, being told how to push a broom because they're just not capable. You look at, you know, the bell curve of, of average and capable, you start to get to the bottom end of the curve. When all of the middle of the curve think that they're exceptional and they go and try to take exceptional jobs, then they've so, you know, diluted the market that it no longer pays for anybody. And so you're kind of left wondering, okay, well, how do we fix this? And I don't have great solutions for that. I, I wish I did. If I did, I'd probably be in the Trump administration now advising some department somewhere on how to fix all of these problems. But the truth is, is that we have to, you know, increase the economy. We need to, you know, decrease taxes. We need to make people accountable for themselves. We need to make it so that if you get ahead in life, you get to keep it. And that gives motivation to get ahead in life. You know, these are basic principles of, of freedom and equality that Americans used to hold dear. Now, the when... And everyone rags on millennials, saying, oh, my goodness, millennials, they're, they're, they don't want to work. They want to play video games all day and eat fast food and not get fat and get paid to play video games. That's like their ambition in life. Well, where does ambition in life come from? 
why do people want to go and succeed and be more and do something crazy and, and start a business and do that? Because they see a reward. They see a potential of reward. And when you have grown up in a culture where the potential for reward is taken away from you, anytime you get ahead, someone's going to come and take away what you have. Someone who hasn't earned it, who just sits around on their butt all day, they will turn on you and take what you have because they they deserve it. You don't deserve it, although you worked for it, but they deserve it because they're just, they just should have it. Well, what's the incentive to, to triumph? What's the incentive to, to go forward or to be more, to do more at that point? There isn't any. And millennials, I think, are the smartest generation that we have ever encountered because they figured that out. Holy crap, they have figured out exactly what the problem is, that they can turn around and say, oh, no matter what I do, you're going to take it? Well, then guess what? I'm not going to do anything because there's no effort. There's no there's no payoff for my effort. It's not worth it. The cost-benefit ana- analysis is just absolutely nil. And so the millennials don't. And everyone starts to be cranky. They're like, oh, they don't, they don't want to work for anything. No, they don't want to work for anything. Who wants to work for something when all of your work is rewarded by you not getting any further ahead than if you had done nothing at all? What is the, the ever-loving, impossible reason to go and expend all of that effort if there's no reward for it? And this is a generation that is finding that all of the rules, all of the this is the way life's supposed to be rules that are being imposed by society just don't work. Their relationships are theirs. They're not based on any kind of social moray predominating philosophy. Their jobs are theirs. They work enough to be able to pay the bills and no more. Their ambition is in themselves, not in creating a better society. And so all of this introspection and, and internalization comes from their not having anything to work for. If you work for it, it gets taken away from you. If you succeed, you get punished. And if you are confident in yourself, then you are labeled and branded as being crazy or egotistical, or narcissistic, or whatever other word du jour that comes out to punish people who are willing to put their head up above the crowd, to try to look around and to do something bigger than themselves. So in this environment, we've got people who just don't care. But we're not creatures that are built to just not care. Human beings can't live by just not caring. And so you start to see angst creep in and seep out of people who have nothing to live for. They've been told that there's no God, there's no heaven. All the suffering you have here just happens to be suffering. There's no greater payoff for it. Nietzsche would be proud. Kirk and, you know, you've got the the fundamentals of, of nihilism that says that belief in heaven and, and hell is the ultimate waste of your life because it, it, it impacts the way you live here but doesn't give you any 
tangible results. And then you've got Kierkegaard on the other end talking about how, you know, even as a Christian, you can be an existentialist and look at the way that God has ordered things. So one side won, the other side lost in, in the great battle for the hearts and souls of of Christendom. I uh, Jesse came and was telling me the other day about her class. She's doing a speech class, and they're supposed to mingle and find out who in the class could blah, blah, blah. She was the only person in the entire class of however many people are in a, a college speech class that could name five books in the New Testament. In the whole class, there's only one person who could name five books in the New Testament. You know, I, I think that most of the people that I'm friends with could name all of them in order. Is it really that hard? First, second, third, John, John, the gospel of, and now you just need one more. If you can say John four times, you're almost there. And yet most of the people in her class, all the people in her class couldn't even do that. It's pretty scary. I mean, we don't have any social mores anymore. We've driven them out. And it, whether it's, you know, Christian or Jewish or Muslim or whatever, we are on this constant drumbeat war to drive out any presence of religion in, in any of our public sphere. And that's what this whole thing about separation of church and state has become. And it was in the beginning, it was about protecting the freedom of the church to be a church without having to kowtow to political whims now it's about the the government being able to destroy the church and keep the the church out of anything that the government wants to do at, at least you know when they were in bed together they played well with each other in order to keep the fights from happening but now now that government has been able to drive religion out entirely government is just ruling the roost any way it sees fit and government does best when people are not able to take care of themselves and are not able to think for themselves and not able to rule themselves because then they require the government to rule them for themselves and that's the ultimate codependent structure that the government wishes to perpetrate on us and so now we've got a generation that's giving up a government that's taking over and in in this dynamic, what do we see start to happen more and more? School shootings, public shootings. And is it because there's more guns? No, there were more guns back in the 30s and 40s than there are now. Is it because people are just inherently more evil in 20? No, the people are still exactly the same as they've been since the beginning of time. Human nature has never changed. So what is the influence that's causing this sort of outpouring of angst? And I think that it is a loss of hope in the future. You know, we've had a president who spent the last eight years saying hope and change, hope and change, and yet there is no hope. People cry peace, peace when there is no peace, and that's where we are, is we're looking at this in kind of a, where do you find your sense of purpose for life? And we're at a commercial break, so I will be right back. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. Okay, welcome back, folks. So... When we were taking the break, I was moving into the Fort Lauderdale shooting, which I wanted to spend just a little time on this morning because it's a different situation than what we're normally used to. 
When I was first getting started with Georgia Carey, I remember the lawsuit against the airport. The the law in Georgia changed to allow the carrying of firearms in the non-secure parts of Hartsfield-Jackson and other airports. It's only when you went through the metal detectors that you couldn't have your gun. And that still is a big problem. People carry through the metal detectors all the time, and now they get cited by, by the federal government instead of being arrested by the state government. But that's neither here nor there. So when all of that lawsuit was going on, there was a hearing in federal court over it, and Ben DaCosta, general manager of Hartsfield-Jackson Airport, went and testified. And I sat there. I went to, to listen. I wasn't attorney in that. And DaCosta gets up there and says, there are no guns in Hartsfield-Jackson Airport. And I thought, you're crazy. There are lots of guns in Hartsfield-Jackson Airport every day. It's the busiest airport in the world. People carry guns into and through the airport all the time. And I'm not talking about on their hip. I'm talking about in their checked baggage. Now, most of you probably have not flown with a firearm. I have multiple times. And there's a very specific procedure. It varies airport to airport, which you would think is not true since TSA is in charge of all the airports. you think that they would have it in hand by now, but they don't. And some airports do this and some airports do that. And I've had trouble, especially in Anchorage, because they were really persnickety about the way the box had to be locked. And they, their rule was the it wasn't just that the box had to be locked enough that you couldn't get the gun out. It was that the box had to be locked enough that you could not open any corner of the box to be able to see into the box. I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? But anyway, so um, what was good for there isn't necessarily good for here. But the the basic rule is is that you go and you have your gun. It has to be unloaded and ammunition separate from it, which means that you can have ammunition in a box, in you know, an, an ammo box like you buy at Walmart. Some places, some airports require it be in a plastic box. And there's a company in Alaska that makes ammunition, Alaskan ammo, and they sell all of theirs in airport approved plastic boxes. They sell it at Walmart. Their uh, slogan is made by Alaskans for Alaskans. And, um, but you can have the ammo in, in the container and you go up to the t- ticket counter and tell them when you're dropping off your check bags that you've got a gun in that bag. And then they send you over to a TSA line. TSA opens it up, looks at it, swabs it down, throws in a little piece of paper that says they checked it. You lock it back up and it goes onto the caris, the check bag, um, conveyor belt to be sucked into the bottom of the plane. Now, that bag has got to travel on the same plane as uh, the owner who checked the bag, and I've seen them screw that up. My friend Chris and I flew to Seattle, and they lost his bag with his gun in it because it had gone on a different flight. And when he went and filed a police report on it and everything else, then they started jumping. It was quite a exciting deal. But... Um, then when you get off the other end, the, the gun and the ammo and the check bag all comes off on the baggage carousel. You pick it up and you walk on out. And that's the way it works. That's the way it works all over this country. Hundreds of times a day, people check guns and fly with guns, and it's not a big deal. But it's no different at, at the end of the day than the rule in Georgia that you can carry your gun in the non-secure part of the airport because the baggage carousel is a non-secure part of the airport. And what happened in Fort Lauderdale is is still being investigated. I mean, it's not terribly clear what the motivation was or anything else. But we know that 
the the shooter flew down from Anchorage and flew with his gun. It was a, a Walther 9mm. When he got to Fort Lauderdale, he picked up his checked bags, went into the bathroom, loaded the gun, came back out, and shot five people. And so even a year ago, I would have been expecting a huge outcry. People shouldn't be allowed to fly with guns, and there should be more stringent rules, and we need to ban all guns and all of that. Do you hear any of that in the last two weeks? Not a peep, right? I mean, it's kind of like the anti-gunners have said, oh my goodness, Trump's taking office. We're not, we're not going to stick our necks out on this one. And, I mean, Trump has been vocal on Twitter and everywhere else. He will go and go right after him. Did you see what he did to the CNN reporter? Goodness, you know? I mean, he's not afraid to pull punches. He won't pull punches. He's not afraid to, to say what he's thinking and feeling and do what he wants to have done. And he's mad at CNN, and boy, he's going to cut him off. And that's just, that's Trump. And so these people who are anti-gunners are kind of minding their P's and Q's finally about what freedom and rights are because there's not they're not going to get the, the powder puff response of a normal Republican. Normal Republican would be like, well, of course we believe in common sense gun control. Trump's going to be like, no, you're an idiot. Go away. Don't ever come back here again, idiot. And that's awesome. And I think it's time that we have that kind of dialogue. It's time that we stopped trying to sugarcoat things and find common ground and reach across the aisle and all that sort of bull when you're wrong. And the people who want to take away my rights and freedoms are wrong. It's just it. You're just wrong. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're wrong. I would love to be able to present you with all of the cogent arguments that illustrate exactly how you're wrong and why you're wrong and how to improve your thought process so that you can be right. But it's not something that we can argue our way out of. Not because our arguments aren't valid, but because those we argue with do not see it as a matter of logic or of discourse, but of religion. This is a religion for some people, that guns are just bad. Guns should be a hobby at best. They have no place in the real world, no place in the modern world. You have no business being concerned about your safety or trying to protect the safety of others. That is a job for the government. And if you are imposing your will on other people by, you know, not following the prescribed social order that the government gets to do these things, then you're crazy. Well, you know what? The people who are crazy are not the people who abide by the law. They're not the people who defend themselves or protect themselves. And this leads me to a picture. And this this is hard to do, so I'm going to have to use a thousand words because radio, you know, I, I can't give you the picture. But you need to think about this, okay? So there's a picture that has been widely circulated coming out of that airport shooting. And it is these people huddled underneath a staircase <coughs> with a cop between them and the outside world with his gun drawn sunglasses on looking out around the staircase shielding them with himself and protecting them from anyone who would come and try to harm them all right so there's the mental image and the narrative that people want to be taken from this image the 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 valiant young police officer risking his life to shield the innocents who have no way to defend themselves against the mass terrorist insane homicidal maniac roaming through the airport willy-nilly 
I don't know where that phrase came from because Willie's got to be willing or else it just doesn't work. But he, the, the, that's the, the mental image that they want us to have of the police officer defending these innocents and protecting them and keeping them safe from harm, the harm of the evil gunman. Well, I'll look at that picture, and I'm sorry, folks, I take a completely different view. So... Let's say, and, and Fort Lauderdale's airport is a gun-free zone, just like they wanted to keep Georgia's airport's gun-free zones, but they couldn't because, you know, we believe in freedom here. But it's a gun-free zone. So let's say that I go and land at Fort Lauderdale Airport, okay? And, or better yet, let's say that I'm picking someone up at Fort Lauderdale Airport. I'm picking up my, my mother who just flew in to Fort Lauderdale Airport. And I'm in my, the parking lot, and I've got a, I don't know, Desert Eagle 1911, who knows, something strapped onto my hip. And I decide, you know, I think that law is just bull. I'm going to go in there because I'm not going to hurt anybody or do anything. I'm just going to go ahead and carry. Concealed means concealed, and off in I go. And let's say that I walk through, and they've got some one of those powerful fans that keep the... 115% George, or Florida muggy air out of the airport so they can cool it to a balmy 85. And the, the, the shirt gets blown up and someone sees my gun. Okay, I have, have I hurt anybody? No. Okay. Have I done anything untoward? No. So who's going to come bother me about carrying my gun in the airport? Well, guess who it's going to be? It's going to be Officer Sunglasses, the one who was just defending all those people from getting shot by the homicidal maniac. He's going to come over and slap me in handcuffs and say, you broke the law and haul me away. All right, so I get out of jail, and i got to go pick up my mom at the airport again. So I go to the airport, and this time I leave my gun in my car because I've been arrested once for it. I'm not going to do it again. So I go into the airport, and now there's a homicidal maniac shooting people. I don't have my gun, so what do I have to do? I have to go get behind officer sunglasses and hope that he'll protect me. Is this not the ever-loving core of insanity? The people who take away our ability to defend ourselves from the homicidal maniac are the people we're supposed to loud and praise for defending us after they took away our right to defend ourselves? I mean, what kind of weird world do we live in where that seems even remotely acceptable? We're at a commercial break. We'll be right back. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. So when I took the commercial break, I was, I was pontificating about how the police who take away our right to defend ourselves and to carry a gun and to be able to stop a mass shooter are the same people who we're supposed to, to laud over for defending us after they take away our rights. So this is kind of like a husband and wife. And the wife comes up to the husband and says, you've got a $20 bill in your wallet. Give it to me. The husband's like, okay, here you go, 20 bucks." And the wife goes and buys $5 something and gives it to your husband and says, look, I bought you a present. And the husband goes, oh, wow, that's great. Thank you, dear. I appreciate you buying me a present. No! The husband... <laughs> 
bought himself something without any choice in it. And that's what's happening here. I mean, the, it, it's not that the police are protecting you because you're, you're, you're innocent and you're, you have no way to defend yourself. The reason you have no way to defend yourself is because of the police. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And where do these crimes take place? It takes place in the place where the police and the legislature have banned us from taking care of ourselves. And then they say, you need us to take care of you because you can't take care of yourselves because we told you you can't take care of yourselves. It's very frustrating to anybody who has, A, any bit of sense about them whatsoever, and B, anybody who has self-respect. If you have self-respect, you cannot look at this situation and feel any kind of, of, of warmth or fuzziness towards the people who took away your right to defend yourself in the first place. <coughs> now, in Georgia... We don't have to worry about that. In Georgia, you can carry a <coughs> sorry. You can carry a gun into the non-secure part of the airport. That baggage claim, if dude had done that in Georgia, if he had flown down here and and in Hartsfield Jackson decided to go and load that gun and come out shooting, by the time he hit the door shooting, there had been three people who had been shooting back at him. Do you think five people would have died then? I don't. Why is it that Georgia is is so much better than Florida in this respect? Well, because we have pushed forward legislation that allows us to be free. We have struck down legislation that takes away freedom. There have been some mass shootings in Georgia. The biggest one, the most recent one, was at the FedEx facility in Kennesaw, where they have a, a security guard and make sure that all of their employees leave their guns in the parking lot. Tennessee passed a law that says if you ban people from carrying in your facility, you are absolutely and strictly liable for any damage that happens to them. I kind of like that. Hey, legislature, I kind of like that. We need to start to promote not just job growth, not just more industry in this country, not protect our not protectionism merely economically. We need protectionism in social situations. And that means that we need to allow people, we need to put incentives for people to protect themselves, just like we incentivize the job staying here. If you're not going to protect yourself, then you're going to have consequences. And the fact that we don't monetize those consequences and that we allow those consequences to go unrealized for so much of the population is... A bad fiscal policy. It's time for us to start to make people realize what it costs to not carry a gun. And I think that there should be fiscal policies in place that, that force people who don't carry a gun or who rely on others for their self-defense to pay an increased burden for it because they are, they are abdicating their responsibility as a free citizen. Anyway, um... You want to know what's going on. You want to be able to get involved. You want to be able to push some legislation through. You want constitutional carry. You want to see school campus carry, meaningful campus carry, campus carry that gets passed and signed by the governor and then put in the books, unlike all the previous campus carry bills where, you know, they just did illegal things and didn't care. You want things to happen, you're going to need to be a member of georgiacarry.org. Go to www.georgiacarry.org. In the top left-hand corner, click Join Now. It's $20 a year, $500 for a lifetime. You can get all of the email updates, know what bills are coming out, what's being passed, what's important, what's not. 
If you don't want to join online, that's okay. Go to any single gun show. You'll find a GeorgiaCarry.org booth with members there who are volunteers, staffing it, taking your 20 bucks, renewing your membership, getting everything good and going. Uh, you have a chance to talk to them, not only gun shows, but most other festivals. Georgia Carry is everywhere in this state. And even if you don't want to go to one of those pay-to-get-into events, just go to the website and see when there is going to be a local chapter meeting. Local chapter meetings are a great place to join up or renew your membership. And don't forget to renew. I know mine's coming up next month. They they let me know. One of the few emails I got during the off-season was, oh, your membership's coming due. Um, but, yeah, go to a local chapter meeting. You can have some great food, maybe some time at the range, meet people who are like-minded, have a little bit of social interaction, have some fun, get out there and enjoy yourselves. And I think that that's a, a good opportunity to meet people who are going to be involved in the making this country a, a better country and a greater place. So... My, my my theme this week was Fort Lauderdale Shooter. Uh, it hits kind of close to home because uh, he lived in Anchorage. I, I've been in Anchorage more times than I can care to count between grand juries and everything else. I know the Anchorage Police Department. I know the prosecutors up there. He had five police interactions. Um, I hate to, to say this, folks, but Alaska is the biggest liberal nanny state in the union you want to talk about new york and california alaska is new york and california on steroids or maybe i should say pot with guns that's really what it comes down to they're okay with you having a rifle or shotgun they're not too cool with you having a handgun but beyond that um it's it's liberal and and if you look at people the wrong way they want to haul you in for a mental evaluation they they are not the most freedom-loving people on earth and they will throw the book at anyone that they can so when it says that they he had five police interactions i think that that's pretty low considering anyone who lives in anchorage for any great period of time i think that you can be in anywhere else in the country you could be an upstanding citizen and in anchorage you could have five police interactions probably in a month but that being said, and so I just want to, you know, kind of put the shadow that this this isn't an indication that he was, you know, a, a monster. But there were some red flags that went up mental health. He was evaluated and cleared. That's a good and that's an indication of the flawed system of the police department. When the police department pe- bring people in for a mental health evaluation, the mental health evaluators start with the presumption that there's absolutely no reason for them to be there because the police department there is just so bad. So they probably started off with the assumption that he was fine and then found him to be fine because they didn't do an in-depth or thorough enough investigation because of the number of cries of, of wolf that the police department in Anchorage will do. But there were some indications of some mental instability. We don't know why, what set him off. Maybe it was an argument. Maybe it was the last straw. He was a veteran that was not being taken care of very well, and that is a shame on our country. He was a millennial that doesn't see much hope in the future. And I'm going to tell you, you want to make men dangerous? You want to make men that will snap and kill people? Take away their hope in the future. Make it so that they can't see a way to improve themselves or make their lives better or that they're going to live in misery for the rest of their lives. When you get them to that point, then they are a dangerous person who could do just about anything. So our goal as a society needs to be a quality of opportunity that no matter what happened to you, no matter where you are in life, you can better yourself and you can become more and you can be somebody. If we really promote that, if we really promulgate that kind of thinking, and I don't care if you are a third-time convicted felon or if you're 21 years old graduating from MIT, 
you should still have a, a bright hope in the future that you can do something. And it shouldn't be settled. You shouldn't be told, oh, well, you know, now that you've screwed up, you can never blah, blah, blah. No. You can always. If you're willing to work at it, if you're willing to put in the time and the effort, you can always. You can always rebuild. And that's the lesson that we need to take from this is that we can always rebuild. And we need to look for opportunities to help those who need to rebuild. We need to help those who will be helped. And those who won't, we don't need them in our lives. Those who won't help themselves, those who won't strive and won't put in the effort, we don't need them to be leading this fight. They, they need to go and, and find what peace or solace they have. They need to find their own path. But we need to focus in on people who are willing to fight the good fight, willing to take, accept personal responsibility, willing to say no to a system that's corrupt and that takes away our freedom and not see that as a positive influence in our lives. That picture really got to me, folks. That is not the way to look at a hero. A hero is not someone who takes a, who creates your dependency. A hero is someone who frees you to go and seek your own independence and your own happiness. That makes a hero. Folks, I hope that this show was profitable to you. I will be back next week, same time, same bat time, same bat channel. I showed that to my stepdaughter this week, the old Batman series, so finally someone knows what I'm talking about when I say that. I hope you all enjoy your weekend. Get outside, enjoy the nice weather, enjoy your family, take someone shooting, go to the range, uh, teach somebody about some safe, responsible gun handling, and we will be back next week. This has been GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. Tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Saturday mornings at 8 on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town. 